Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of being here at ASI. And uh, I thank you for each one who is here and for those who have come to this seminar as we want to explore how we can more effectively reach our community, our neighborhood, the places where we live. It's thrilling to hear stories of what you're doing around the world, but Lord, we want to see it in our neighborhood. We want to see it with our neighbors and the people we work with. So just give us an anointing of your spirit this afternoon, we pray, as we explore these ideas. Bless us with, with Holy Spirit. Speak to our minds and hearts so that we can see and our eyes can be opened, that we can see what's available around us and how we can make an impact with others we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was quite happy with that title. And as you can tell, my burden, my desire is to uh, how can we reach the people living in my neighborhood? How can we reach people like me? So last year in Houston, they uh, called me on a Thursday night and said, we, uh, the nominating committee would like for you to be the ASI vice president. And I thought, you know what? My little niche is right here. My heart is on how do we reach Western thinking people right here in North America. And I know we have lots of stuff around the world. And anyway, as they came and talked with me, I, you know what I thought? Can I be real honest? I was walking back to the Marriott. It was about two miles, but I had status with Marriott, so I wanted to stay there to get the free breakfast. And so I was walking back and I was complaining, Lord, I don't, I don't have time to do this and go to board meetings and do all these different things. And my nose is barely above the water line. And the Lord said, you know what? You're always complaining that we do things all over the world and we don't do things in our neighborhood. So let's see what God will do. Said, okay. And so that's how we're here this afternoon. But anyway, how can we reach people like me? How can you reach people like you, people that live in your neighborhood? And that's really what, what's on my heart. I love what God does around the world and it's exciting. But what can happen here? Can we really communicate with our friends and our coworkers? our patients and our clients and our neighbors in a way that they will understand. Can we? Hmm. Now, on Tuesday, we had a ASI board meeting, and one of the board members mentioned they were very passionate about Revelation 14, 6 and through 12, and you've heard a little bit about that and what's going on with the teachers. But when you look at that, I want you to think about what this is saying. I saw another angel fly in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to preach unto those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, language, and people. King James, every kindred, nation, tongue, and people. The target, those who live on the earth. But where? I want you to think about this for a moment. Where? What's our nation? United States of America. Uh, do we have tribes here? We have red tribes and blue tribes, but do we have more than, <laughs> sorry, I know I'm in Florida, I've got to be careful what I say, I'm from California, but uh, you, you know, we, we're, we're becoming tribal, aren't we? Even in politics, even in ideology, there's all kinds of, of differences there. Are there any other differences besides that? Every tribe, are there tribes here? Hmm, we talk about people being in columns today. They're in columns. They're insulated from what other people believe, let's just say politically. What more religiously? We kind of live in, in these different worlds where words mean different things to different people. Language. We all speak the same language. I'm assuming in this room or you wouldn't be here. You speak English at least, whether you speak other languages or not. 
But that doesn't mean we're necessarily communicating with those people. Sometimes we think, well, we, we gave them the message. Well, did we? Did it resonate? And people. And so there's all these little differences as it dwells down, as it drills down on what it means to communicate the eternal gospel to the people who are living here. And we need it to filter down all the way to my tribe, to my language. You know, we kind of uh, have been on the committee recently and they were joking about the youngest member on the committee who was a millennial and now he has gray hair. But we're always joking about, you know, you know, he'll under, you guys don't understand because you're not a millennial, right? And we, and we do have words that mean different things. How do we use those words? I remember in my youth, uh, I had a wonderful, godly grandmother who prayed for me. She was a Bible worker. She actually gave Bible studies to Johnny Earnhardt, if you've read his book about being converted that way. And uh, I'll never forget when George Harrison played that that wonderful tune with very interesting words, my sweet Lord. We were going to school. She was driving me to school. You know what she said? The Beatles believe in Jesus. Did they? Did George Harrison? Help me. What was he talking about, my sweet Lord? Harry Krishna. So he was using the same words, but they were meaning different things. And so words really don't have meaning until we define them. And so we need to be able to define things so that people understand. Or again, we can give the message and it just doesn't resonate. It doesn't touch into the heart. And that's what we want to do is to try and reach into that. And so I want you to think for a moment about Paul going to Berea. Now, how many of you are familiar with the footsteps of Paul? Okay. So many of you, many of you aren't. And we'll get a chance to talk to you tomorrow morning at Sabbath school about the conversion of Paul. But... Um, we think about Paul, and he goes to Berea. Was he successful in Berea? Would you call that a successful meeting? Sure. Lots of people responded. Lots of Jews and proselytes, they all respond. And then Paul goes down to this place. How did it go there? Not so good. Hmm. So he goes down to Athens, and he has a whole different audience. And then he leaves Athens and he goes over to Corinth. And what happens there? He comes in through, through the, the, the gate of the cranium. By the way, cranium means skull, right? So he goes through the, the cranium gate, the skull gate, and he thinks about Calvary being at Golgotha. And he says, I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, many of my colleagues, I pastored for 25 years, and I, uh, I don't pastor at this point. A, a church, we do the biblical world ministry. But I pastored for 25 years, and so I'm a, I'm, I go to a lot of pastor seminars and speak at pastor seminars. And uh, many people think that Paul got his uh, ears boxed in Athens, got his hand slapped, and so he determined not to use philosophy anymore when he went to Corinth, he was only going to preach Christ and him crucified. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But I would suggest maybe we should be hesitant on that for a moment. Was it really a flop in Athens? I want to tell you, I've only baptized one PhD from MIT in all of my ministry. Okay? And he reached a guy named Dionysus, who was one of the top 
30 scholars in the entire world teaching at the University of Athens. I'd call that pretty successful, wouldn't you? And so Paul really adapted his message. In Berea, he had a lot of people who were Jewish. They had a memory of Judaism. They had a, a common, even if they were proselytes. By the way, best I can tell, 10% of the Roman world were Jews. Pretty amazing. And 25% of the Roman world were God-fearers. They, they, they had an attraction to Judaism. But they didn't want to get circumcised, but they kind of preferred that, so they're open to it. So really, 35% of the world in general is open to what Paul is saying, and they can go back to the Hebrew Scriptures. That's pretty incredible. And so Paul touches base with that group in Berea, and they have, remember what they had? They, they listen to Paul every day with an open mind and search the Scriptures daily to see if what he was teaching was true or not. Good thing is there wasn't an internet, right? <laughs> it would have been a lot more difficult in Berea because they'd have been on there Googling what, 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 and getting all kind of prejudice and so on that would have been going on. Down in Corinth, Corinth was basically, I, I live in California and L.A., so our Long Beach. You know what Long Beach is? It's a shipping place because they, they, they had the boats that would come from the Aegean and they would drag them four miles across the isthmus and put them on the other side and they'd go out at the Adriatic they were afraid to sail around the southern Greece. And so you had a lot of dock workers. They're not into philosophy. They're not into all those things. And so he comes in and he preaches a whole different message to a whole different group of people there. And God blessed. Well, it's easy to say we want to reach our neighborhood, isn't it? It's easy to even say we want to reach our world. But I want you to think about this for a moment. It's harder to say I want to reach the people living in my neighborhood. <laughs> right? Our neighborhood, my neighborhood. Now you can see this beautiful little logo, then you've seen it all through ASI, business unusual. And as we struggled with this last fall at our retreat as an executive committee, what should the theme be? We really kicked that around back and forth. And I was wanting to say reaching my world. I kept pushing for that. And Others were pushing for other things, and ultimately we came, and it turned out to be a beautiful, wonderful, appropriate, the clock, all of that going on, logo, but we do want to have our lives to be unusual, right? But I want us to think about how do we reach our world? How do we reach my neighborhood? And that's what we're going to talk about this afternoon. Well, as I said, I've only baptized one PhD, so it's not enough to tell them it's not enough to tell them. It's not enough to warn them. Sometimes we think, well, we'll just put it on the, the TV channel and they've had the opportunity. That's not communicating to every nation, kindred, trung, and people, right? It's got to filter down as to the way that they're going to understand and respond and uh, in a language they would speak. I remember being in Montreal. I, I don't know whether to say this or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. In Montreal... We uh, were doing meetings there, and our English brochure said, Revelation brings hope. Is that a good? Is that a good? Yeah. Now, we didn't change it when they went into French, and guess what it said? The apocalypse. Is that Revelation? The apocalypse brings hope. <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, I kind of stood back and said, what does that mean to certain people in Montreal? The end of the world brings hope? Is it a suicide cult? You understand what I'm saying? 
we have to sometimes make sure that the message we're sending out resonates with the people we're trying to reach. And, uh, and so some people knew it was Revelation. They were all excited about it. Yes, Revelation brings hope. But in the strict translation, the apocalypse, which means the end of the world for many people, brings hope. So witnessing as Jesus witnessed. This, uh, at our spring meeting in Southern California, and uh, we live in the Pacific Union, Patty, right? Not so, we live in the Pacific Union, that's more than Southern California. Um, the former president of the chapter asked me to speak on witnessing as Jesus witnessed. And so I uh, wanted to just to share a couple of thoughts out of that with you this afternoon. Witnessing as Jesus, how did Jesus witness anyway? Think that might help us? And so I'm just going to use these little initials, you know, that what did Jesus do? This is this, how did Jesus witness, H-D-J-W. And it was really many and varied ways, wasn't it? He witnessed in many different types of ways. Sometimes he healed people in response to their faith. But guess what? Sometimes he healed them in response to someone else's faith. Sometimes the guy who's healed on the Sabbath and picks up his bed doesn't even know who healed him. Incredible, right? Different ways. Sometimes he told them, go and tell what the Lord has done for you. And other times, you know what he said? Don't tell anybody what I've done. Many and varied ways. So our question is, how did he witness? Well, let's just define for a moment, what is a witness? What is a witness anyway? Well, Webster says it's one who has personal knowledge of something. Ah, that's helpful, isn't it? Dictionary, ver the verb is used with the object to see, hear, or know by personal presence and perception. And so, we think about witnessing in our neighborhood. What do we know by personal experience and presence? So what did Jesus have a personal knowledge of? I like this text so much, John 1.18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So Jesus came to make known the Father. As a matter of fact, he came to witness about the Father. And so his whole ministry and purpose coming into this world was really to reveal what his Father was like. I love this little paragraph or sentence from Christ Object Lessons, page 40. Christ's favorite theme was the mark of the beast. Is that what it says? Christ's favorite theme was dogging on other churches. <laughs> Christ's favorite theme was what? The paternal tenderness and abundance grace of God. Jesus came to reveal what his father was like. He's constantly unfolding that. In all of his experiences, he's trying to teach us what his father was like. And you know what? Do people in your neighborhood need that? Some of you had a really great time with your father, and some of you probably didn't have a very great time with your father, right? But we can teach people what our father is like, and that's what Jesus was his favorite theme. And the needs of our world have not changed, have they? So let's just look at an example or two. Here's an example. There's a guy named Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus at night. And so people wonder, why does he come at night? And just think of this. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. What does that mean? It's the 70 top scholars and judges of Judaism of the day. And he's one of these top 70 guys. And he comes to Jesus at night. And he seeks him out. Now, he comes asking questions. Why? Well, here's 
basically why Jesus comes in and he challenges the status quo in the temple. He overturns their, 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 their money changers' tables and drives them out because the Sadducees are running the temple. And the Sadducees don't believe in all the Hebrew scriptures. Remember, they only believe in five books. And the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Would you call them corrupt? Wow. They, we'd be on a warpath about that, wouldn't we? If they were the leaders... Jesus challenges that. Who is this guy to do that? And Nicodemus, this Pharisee standing back here, he says, wow, right? <laughs> Rabbi, <laughs> you know, I, no one can do this unless God is with them. They felt impotent to change the situation. And so Jesus challenged the status quo. So Nicodemus comes, and what does he do? He flatters Jesus. Rabbi, same word that Jesus is not a trained rabbi. Nicodemus calls him by the same title he's called as a member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee. He flatters him and he asks him, Join me in fighting apostasy. Right? Join me in fighting these Sadducees, these corrupt people who are running the temple. And Jesus listens to that. And you know what he does? He says, You have to be born again. It's not about fighting apostasy, Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. Now, the interesting thing is that Jews said when a Gentile converts to Judaism, he has to be immersed, and they say he's been born again. So Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you may be the great scholar, one of the top 70 judges in the land, but unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus, remember, you know the story. How can I go back into my mother's womb and so on and so on? My point is it's easier to discuss religious controversy than to surrender the heart. And so as we want to be powerful witnesses, we want to surrender our heart. Now I have to confess, I, love, enjoy, I enjoy discussing controversy as much as the next person, but ultimately that we want to communicate with people about Jesus. He responded to his questions. He wasn't distracted by the side issues. And then he led this outwardly observant Jewish man to be born again. And then there's another story. I just want to give you these two little stories at this point. The Samaritan woman, remember that? She comes to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, that's an amazing story. What time was it? Do you remember? It's about noon. Is that when you do your gardens here in Florida? Do you... I grew up in North Carolina. I was born here in Orlando, but I grew up in North Carolina. My, my parents, they did their gardens at 5 or 6 in the morning, right? They did it early. You don't even do it in the evening here in the South because it's still hot. So she didn't want to come and interact with the other people, right? Notice what her response is. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There's a long-standing animosity. But Jesus doesn't let that stop him, even though there's a prejudice where Jews would not want to drink the water from a Samaritan. What did he ask for? A drink. A drink. He's a bold reformer who went beyond the religious and ethnic principles of his day. There's a gender gap here, by the way. Notice what the rabbi said. The rabbi said... Let no one talk with a woman in the street. No, not even his own wife. What? Jesus blows right through all of these barriers. 
speaks to a person that would be despised because of their ethnicity, being a Samaritan, speaks to a woman in public. And then maybe we think maybe even a woman who's questionable in her background because she's there at noon avoiding the other women. Jesus breaks through all of that. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. <laughs> I just realized I'm using this mic and I have a wireless, but anyway, I will keep using it. I guess it works. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ or the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Remember? They said, now we believe, not because of what she said, but we believe you are the Savior of the world. I want us to think about the different ways that Jesus reaches people. And, and by the way, this is the first person that Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah to. Hasn't told his disciples that, hasn't told other Jewish people that, but he tells this to a Samaritan woman, a despised ethnic group, a woman, maybe a woman of ill repute, and he reveals his messiahship to her, and it is powerful. So think about the contrast. Nicodemus, an upright man, spent his life obeying the oral and written law, comes asking a question about apostasy in the church. Jesus says you have to be born again. She's an outcast, and Jesus asks for her help. I just want to emphasize, sometimes people may come to you and ask you a question in your neighborhood. Sometimes you have to pray, Holy Spirit, help me to ask them a question. Maybe you even have to pray, ask them for help. Jesus, even though he was the creator of the world, didn't have a rope to let down a bucket to get water out of the well, right? And so he asked that very practical help, and then he gave her the water of life. Jesus was observant. He was looking for spiritual needs. And then he targeted his message to his audience. And we need to think about that if we're going to be effective in reaching our neighborhoods. And he had one theme, his favorite theme. He repeated it in many different ways over and over, the paternal love of the Father. And you know what? Everything else will flow from understanding that. At least that's what we get from what Jesus did. Now, was Jesus always successful? You're going to go back to your neighborhoods and somebody's going to slam the door on your nose and... You're going to have your feelings hurt. Was he always successful? No. No. What about the rich young ruler? Can you imagine? He runs up, Jesus, what I got to do? He's saved, you know. And Man, you'd want that guy in your church, right? You'd want to baptize that guy. He says, go sell everything you've got. And the guy goes away. He goes away sorrowful. Must have hurt. I don't like rejection, you know. Do you? I don't like it. Pharisees largely rejected him. Only 5,000 Pharisees, but most of them rejected him. However, a couple of them accepted. But he didn't compromise. He didn't wash hands. He didn't compromise. That's a whole different story. So I want to think for just a moment about a witness and what they know. Years ago, I went to school at Wildwood. I became a Christian in 1972 at a Rolling Stones concert in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the next year, I went over to I was going to Southern Missionary College in those days, and I ended up at Wildwood. And at Wildwood, I ended up working at the vegetarian restaurant because I read in those books that talked about health ministry. And so I'm working in the health ministry. 
and I'm very impressionable as a young person, and we've got some people who really got into educational reform, and I, I filled my mind with educational reform, you know, and uh, how wrong it was to do certain things, and, you know, we should really straighten the world out about all of this, and so I'm working at that, and I was all keyed up about that, and, and, and we had a businessman that came every day he was in town and not traveling on a business, he'd come and eat there, and and so my job was to you know, eat with the clients and enjoy the clients and develop relationships with them. And, and so we, we make a real bond. And uh, one day he asked me what I was studying. And you know what my mind was full of? Educational reform. <laughs> so you know what I gave him a Bible study about? Yeah, so sad. So inappropriate. Educational reform. Because that's what was on my heart. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, just like the next person, I enjoy following current affairs, and I have to confess politics. I enjoy following all of this. But we have to be careful what we speak of out of our heart, right? It was a squandered opportunity. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, I was pastoring in Southern California at Norwalk, California, and we had an our daily bread instead of Foods for Life. It was another vegetarian restaurant. And so as pastor, senior pastor, I'd often go over and I would eat with the people. And I developed a relationship with a young couple, younger than you, a young couple. And they'd come in every day. And, and, you know, people are vegetarian for many different reasons. And they were vegetarians because of PETA, right? The, the ethical treatment of animals. And so they want to ask if they wanted to study the Bible. And so we have several Bible studies. And then in my chronology, I came down to the Bible study of the sanctuary, of Jesus being the Lamb of God. Does that touch your heart? Yeah. I got all into that, and I shared all of that, and how they had a confessor sins on the head of the Lamb and then sacrifice the Lamb. <laughs> Wrong thing to be saying to a peta person, right? <laughs> and so I'm just trying to share that we need to know who we're talking to, and we need to, to be understanding of that. And they were not strong enough to hold up with that. And guess what? Last Bible study I had with them, last time they came to our vegetarian restaurant. Now, I could feel kind of good. Well, I gave them the message of Jesus, but we have to be appropriate in what we're doing. So I want to encourage you to join me in focusing on knowing Jesus. And as we know Jesus, we'll share out of that. Share his favorite theme, the paternal love of God. If you're doing that, it's just going to abound to other people. And can we look for opportunities? I believe in your neighborhood there are opportunities all around. I believe in your church there are opportunities all around. I believe where you work there are opportunities all around. But, you know, sometimes we have scales over our eyes and we don't see those opportunities. Now... Patty is here. I picked on Patty a moment ago. Patty Guthrie is our ASI chapter president for the Pacific Union. She was just elected uh, in April, and uh, I met Patty and her husband a couple of times at ASI, but I've gotten to know her. And Patty was trained. She has a bachelor's degree in Bible instructor work. <laughs> Not really. But Patty is planted, her neighborhood is in Mount Shasta, 
California. So you know what we're doing for Patty? We're praying for her because there's a lot of fires around there right now. It's really on not such a good situation. I don't know if it's changed since we talked, Patty. But, uh, and Patty attends a church. Her husband is a physician in there, and they do a lot of programming. And Patty has been having some wonderful experiences. And I asked Patty if she'd just come and share a few minutes with us about what it is like to share with people in her neighborhood and what's happening in her neighborhood because I found it quite exciting. Uh, so again, uh, I'm going to interview you for just a moment, then I'll let you, you can come up, yeah. So Patty, you're not a trained Bible worker. Um, my brother corrected you. He said, yes, I got trained by our father growing up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it wasn't through a Bible school, you, for yeah, sure. Yeah, you didn't go to AFCO. Right. You didn't, no. All of these programs are wonderful, but you didn't go to those. Instead... I have not had that opportunity. I would have loved to. There was a need. Yes. So just tell us a little bit about what's happening in your neighborhood. I think you've you got people coming to your church for different programs, and your church is very evangelistic. It's one of those churches that, uh, that does... Uh, uh, evangelistic meetings every year, and is that what they do? No. No, okay. Thank you for setting me straight. <laughs> <laughs> you, you set me up for that one. Um, brief history, I homeschooled our four children, and when they went away to school, I was there in our big empty house. What does the Lord have for me to do? Well, it's not to stay home and have a pity party, which is what I felt like doing. But over time, God has led me into something I've always loved and have done is health ministry through our church. Uh, different programs, uh, lots of Nedley, uh, uh, lots of different types of programs we've done. I've been a little frustrated, though, over the years to, um, as many of you who are in health ministry have experienced, to bridge our health or health outreach with winning souls. This has been a focus of mine to understand how do we bridge these things, kind of a separate topic. But in the process, I started really, the Lord asked, I prayed that God would give me a burden for souls. And uh, so he's done that, and then once I have the burden, then what do I do with that? So just kind of jumping quickly to some of my experiments in winning souls. First of all, if you have a goal, it helps to have a goal in order to win a soul. And if we're just kind of waiting and hoping we might bump into somebody, uh, our success in winning those souls is a lot less than when we are more um, purposeful in our activity. And now I've become very purposeful in being, uh, Lord's trying to teach me to not be so aware of, uh, focused on myself, but on the needs of the people around me. That could be, include people who are in our church. Many people have a story to share, and there are a few people who are willing to listen. So um, just jumping into a few stories, uh, one of the first things I tried was when uh, one Sabbath a young lady came to church, uh, Christmas tree type, and I hadn't seen her before. I greeted her, welcomed her, and uh, asked her if she, by chance, knew anything about the Adventist faith and would she be interested in Bible studies. And she said, well, um, I, I don't want to know anything about the mark of the beast. And I said, not a problem, you know, I would just like, I just enjoy getting together to study with you. So over the course of the next few weeks, I started going to her home. Her mom was there. Her mom had become an Adventist previously and fallen away. So uh, her mom would be there, and she would kind of come into the kitchen and leave. There was music and other distractions around. But over the course of time, her boyfriend was in jail, which was a providence because I had time with her without that distraction. 
So uh, we continued studying together. Long story short, it was the thrill of my life to see Jesus change her heart to deliver her through Bible study from the addictions that had uh, nearly ended her life. So she gave her heart to Jesus. She was baptized in our lake. That's where we have all our baptisms. And then um, when her boyfriend got out of jail, I was very concerned about what would happen. They did get back together, but he also has given his heart to Jesus, and he was subsequently baptized. And now they're still a part of our church family, and they are, they are like our family, our kids. They've had a baby now, and now I've gone back, and I'm still studying with her. Uh, we didn't for a while, but we've renewed that, and now we're talking when we get together and studying the gospel. We're talking about how to win her friends and neighbors in her community, and I'm supporting her in the idea of starting a mom support group for in our church to bring the mothers in her, our community that, or her community that she's studying with her neighbors to our church and, and studying and, and being there for them. That was sort of my first experience. Another experience I had in our neighborhood, we get lots of snow. In the winter, I was walking around our neighborhood. This was about a year and a half ago. We do have a lot of relationships with our neighbors, but part of learning to listen is to hear where people are at and what they're ready for. And as we inquire about their family and their occupation and and their relationships, we can learn what's questions to ask next. Well, this lady I just met, she was out shoveling her snow. She started to talked to me about our little dog, and that struck up a conversation. And truthfully, I don't know how the conversation got around to it, but I'm always aiming, if possible, for an opportunity to say, would you, have you ever studied the Bible? And would you be interested? And I asked her that question, and she was, well, what would that entail? I said, well, we could just try once. Uh, if you would like to get together, and I have some studies, and, and where would be, I'm happy to come to your place. So we did begin studying. She's with um, a situation. She had been away from her husband. She had left him for a while because he's a 24-7 pot uh, addicted person, and she just needed to get away. In Providence, she had gotten away to our neighborhood. And so we began studies. Meanwhile, she, the Lord took her back to her husband. Uh, we continued studied and studying, and, over, and I also brought in a la- another lady from our church I had studied with previously and was just baptized. She joined us, and they were able to really connect in terms of their home situation and what they were dealing with. And, and really, it's not about me. It's about connecting these people as quickly as possible with our church family. And so our church family has learned that we're all part of a team and, and becoming friends with these people. So it's really not about me or anything special. We're together. I need all, the peop- all these people. We need each other to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So she... I have pictures on my phone, but anyway, you can imagine. She was just baptized in June. Gave her heart to the Lord completely as she's just praising God. She's uh, venturing out in faith and returning a tithe. And it's just been a thrill for me. Um, Another thing, real quickly, we started a music ministry. Well, we had always kind of done it, you know, like out of a good work. We'll go to the nursing home and sing, and that we feel good now because we did that. I hate that, that we sometimes have not their best motivation, and I want to just confess my motivation has not always been, that probably isn't ever pure for Jesus because self is in it, and I, I just am so sad for that, but I, I want for self to be dead so that people don't see me. I don't want them to notice what I'm wearing. I don't want them to notice anything. I just want them to experience Jesus' love. So in going to the nursing home, one Sabbath I said to my husband, why don't we try and, um, and go to the hospital and sing for some patients since he's a doctor and, and everybody knows, so they, he went to the nurse's station, sure enough. So we went 
uh, with our pastor and a group from our church. He had the guitar and we sang some hymns. And then um, as we were singing in a couple of different patient rooms, we were joined by another lady. Uh, she had a white lab coat on, who's this? Afterwards, I met her, she's the new chaplain, Catholic, um, for our hospital. Well, we have become the best of friends and she uh, started arranging opportunities for us to sing for hospice patients in their homes. In addition, now we're on a, sh uh, she's got me on her texting, um, you know, we text and we have a group and we call everybody together sometimes within just a few hours to go. Well, she last winter wanted us to sing for a patient's mother. Uh, no, there was a patient who was a mother of, of a gentleman who wanted us to sing. We went and sang, she was basically in a coma, and we sang for about 15 minutes, and I thought, this woman, bless her, she's about to pass away, and she hasn't heard any, you know, she doesn't know anything. After, and her son was not there. After we sang, the son went to the chaplain and said to her, who was that that came and sang for my mother? I'd like to thank them. Well, they were, you know, from a church. Well, what church? Seventh-day Adventist. So he went on and Googled and found Walter Veith and started watching Amazing Discoveries and unbeknownst to us, any of this. And she, the chaplain, invited him to come to church because she too comes to our church. And so he came and he was ready to join our church the first Sabbath he arrived. So someone came to me and said, this man wants Bible studies. And from other experiences, which I won't share right now, I've learned that Ellen White's counsel is right, that it's best for women to study with women. I haven't studied alone with a man, but even sometimes in groups, uh, hasn't always been the best. Lots of wisdom and prayer is needed. So I uh, ran to get my husband, who's a busy orthopedic surgeon, Honey, this guy needs Bible studies. Can you come in and meet him and start? A so long story short, my husband started a study group with this man, and now he's going to be baptized in a couple of weeks. Another man uh, who had never um, been an Adventist in our church, his wife became an Adventist through studies a few years ago. But anyway, he joined the group, and now they're both going to be baptized, and they formed a real neat bond. And the men together... It's just wonderful. Let, let the men study together. I love that. And then the women go home and work on their husbands. But it's best for me not to do that, right? So anyway, I just, um, should I stop or can I tell one more story? Go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm really wanting to, like I mentioned, to, to connect the health message and the gospel. And so we've started a weight uh, loss support group. And that's unscripted. We meet in a circle. There's usually 15 of us. We started in March. And we're, pr we're praying, and I'm reading. We have a handout with the scripture. I have everyone read the scripture aloud. These are not Christians that are doing this. And I'm telling them, and we present the New Start principles. And it's just a little bit. We have a conversational um, discussion each evening, show like five-minute clips from YouTube or whatever on the topic. But I tell them, you don't have to believe in Jesus to pray to him. You don't have to believe in the Bible to claim a promise. It's a, and we're, we're just providing this. This is something you get that's unique here at our church that you don't get in Weight Watchers. And we're happy to pray for you, but you don't have to feel like you have to become a some damnness. We care about you no matter what. We're doing this for free, and we're not selling anything. We just care about you. And by the way, these people are experiencing weight loss. It's just so exciting. They come with their own testimonies about what God is doing. And one time, a lady who is completely not a Christian, believes in reincarnation and the whole bit, she said, hey, you didn't have closing prayer. <laughs> And, and she's texting me to pray for her, you know, and we're going to be starting Bible studies. 
But there was a lady, I've been um, about my age, she's an electrical engineer, studied MIT, Stanford University, masters. We've been um, developing a friendship over about 10 years. And she's come to several of our health programs. She's a yoga master instructor. And uh, she's always been a little bit distant about the Bible, even though she's appreciated our vegetarian lifestyle. Well, we had a couple of, and we've gotten together a few times, but uh, about four months ago, we had a couple of, a young Adventist couple come and present an overcoming addiction seminar. At that seminar, they were pretty overt, and I knew our audience is new age and not Christian. And the last seminar, or the last one they gave, the, the woman who was presenting came on very strong about forgiveness and Jesus and the gospel. And I was putting myself in the, in the seat, or the, um, I know how their thinking is, and I was feeling like, I feel like they've, May, they may be feeling we've just been kind of um, being too strong for them. So I stood up and I said, you know, I want to thank you, my friend, for what you presented. And to all of you who have come, it's evident we really love Jesus and we appreciate the Bible very much. Those of you who know me know I love to study the Bible. And if anyone wants to, just come and tug on my sleeve. You know, let me know. I'd be happy to. But we want to respect your freedom. I know that you all represent many different faith backgrounds. We respect who you are and where you come from. And you are free to believe whatever you choose. And that's part of our belief system is freedom to choose. So we want to thank you for coming tonight. We wish you all the best. And I probably close with prayer. I don't recall. But after that, my friend that I had been friends, she was there that night. Well, a few next week, I was out on a walk with my dog. <laughs> and my phone rings. And she goes, hi, Patty. This is, she said her name. And she goes, say, you know, I heard what, I heard what you said last Wednesday night. And... Um, I'd like to, was wondering if you'd be willing to start studying the Bible with me. And I'd like for you, after that, could we go for a walk? She goes, I'd just like to study with you and then go for a walk. And I was like, certainly. So we started studying, and I went to her home. They have a lovely home, and she has a beautiful meditation room overlooking the mountains, and we're studying in her meditation room. Uh, she had just returned from India. She had been to an ashram there, studying there, and been to an Ayurvedic healing center. And so she has a lot of questions about what we believe and so on. But she said it was because I gave her freedom to listen without feeling like I was going to push it, that she was willing to study. So we are having a phenomenal experience. She's sharing with me from her perspective, and she's told me if I had known about Jesus, I might not have ever gone down this path with yoga as I have. But I can see her hunger. She's now on a, a trip, three months traveling. I sent Desire of Ages with her, and I'm praying earnestly for the Lord to send the message of Jesus. She says, I wish I had something to believe that I was as passionate about as you are about Jesus. So all that to say, some of these things are works in progress. We don't always see immediately the fruits of our labor, and that's probably for our own good. But I pray that God would instill in each one of you a hunger for souls, and you pray for him to... Ellen White says she saw hundreds of thousands of people going and reading the Bible in their homes before Jesus comes. Where are we? Who are the people she saw? Let it be us. And our church, like Tony began... Our church has never had an evangelistic series in the 20 or 25 years that I know of in the past. Uh, we have not, they have not been favorable to public evangelism 
at all. And the only opportunity I've had is to do health ministry, and they're okay with that. And I was so frustrated, and then finally I thought, you know, what can I do for Jesus? Well, stop blaming those people and do what I can, and God is so merciful, and so people in our church are supportive. And uh, we praise God for that, and I wish you all that he may increase and we may decrease. Thank you so much, Patty. When she shared some of those stories, I thought, how incredible. You notice what she was doing? She was praying, Lord, let me see. She was looking like the woman at the well, right? Asking questions of some of these people. And so we kind of put ourselves in that position, but we have to be looking to be able to observe and see. We have to have a heart to pray for lost people. And that's what Patty was doing. And then a vision, pray, Lord, give me a vision of lost people. Let me see them because sometimes they're just people coming to a program or sometimes they're just people who irritate me, my neighbors. And then we have to pray for a passion. Did you hear a passion? Lord, give me a passion for lost people. You can share the people, the good news of people living in your neighborhood and uh, coming to your program is just like that. Now, I have another friend that I'm going to have come up and he's doing something a little bit differently and... um, because we want to talk about the most powerful approaches and useful tools for communicating our unique message to our friends, coworkers, patients, clients, and neighbors in a way they will understand. And so we need to have a passion to reach lost people. And uh, we need to pray that God will help us to discover how we can reach lost people for the Lord. Now, Denzel, I know that you're a busy person because I'm on one 25th of, a, of the number of committees outside of your business work that you're on with ASI, and uh, I'm just amazed. And yet, in the midst of all of that, you've developed a passion for personal ministry to reach out and touch people. Tell us about it. Well, it's been several years ago now that my wife and I said that we need to start actively and aggressively looking at how we can share our faith. And so we've been praying every day, Lord, bring us someone that we can share our faith with. And the Lord, it's amazing how many times the Lord gives us opportunities. And all the, a lot of the ideas that we got, we got from ASI members. So when I tell you when I, what we're doing, it is not our original ideas, things I learned through ASI. So just, but it's, it's just mainly the main thing is doing it. You know, we, we, um, one thing that we did that I learned from an ASI member is make sure you have conversational pieces within your office that you can talk about. So I have, uh, I have Nathan Greenhart in my lobby, uh, you know, inside. Uh, and then as you walk into the door of my office, there's a picture of Nathan, a small little picture of Nathan Greenhart of the businessman right as you walk into my door of my office. And then inside, you know, I try to have things around from different travels. What I find with the business people that I deal with that people like to talk about travel. So I can talk about travel because I've done a lot of it. But then they say, well, what did you go for? And then I start telling them about the mission trips and what, you know, things, the projects and things that we're involved with. And it leads into a, a conversation that is always really very interesting. So my wife and I, we go to dinner with customers and they always want to talk about vegetarianism because we always order vegetarian. And then they always want to talk about travel, and we can talk about travel that way. So it's given us an opportunity, and now there's several people that we meet with on a every three, four-month time frame where we can get to talk and start to share our faith. Now, we don't know where that will go, but we know that it will go. So it's, we know that we need to plant the seed. 
I had one businessman that I, I actually, we, I'm trying to be more health conscious. And so instead of meeting at, uh, a lot of people like to, in my business like to meet at coffee shops or Caribou's or Starbucks, right? Well, I, where I meet him at is it's a gym and we walk around the track. And so we do walking. And so we walk around the track and I do that with about, I'd pay about six, six or seven customers now. We about once a month we meet and we walk around the track and we talk. And uh, one guy, you know, I, I always answer, my, when someone's asking you, how you doing? I always say, fantastic, but it's going to get better. And when people say, how can it get better and fantastic? And I say, the Lord's going to come. And when he comes, it's going to get better than that. And, uh, and so, so it's just a way, or, or people say, how you doing? I always say, I'm blessed. One time I said, I, I said to a gentleman, he said, how you doing? I said, I'm blessed. He goes, that's right, you're, you're a Christian. I'd like to talk to you more about your faith. Can we sit down and talk? And, we, and so he came to my office. I, I cater in, I have a, in my office, I got a, a conference table, and we always cater in meals, a lot of meals right in my office. And so we cater in a meal there, and we talk right there in the office. And it's amazing, the opportunities to witness. And, and already now, we've, we've been able to go to dinner with that couple three times. So I don't know where it's going to go, but, you know, we want to continue to plant those seeds Another gentleman says, how, do you, how are you positive every day? I want to know how you're positive every day. And I said, well, you know, I read the Bible every day, and I try to get my inspiration from the Bible, and, and, and it's Bible studies. He says, yeah, but I don't have a lot of time with that. And I said, well, you know, the, John Bradshaw has this great thing called a one-minute video. And, and so I gave that to him, and he watches it, and every time I see him, he thanks me for that one-minute video because he says I watch it every day. And he's been watching it now for years. Now, we don't know where those seeds are going to be planted, but it's an opportunity. My wife is very involved in health evangelism. And so we decided that we need to get more aggressive in our health evangelism. So now what we do is when we do our surveys, we ask at the bottom, does anyone want to study the Bible? Well, the first time we did that, we were shocked because there was about a dozen people that wanted to study the Bible. And we go, well, who's going to do the Bible studies, or how are we going to do this? And, and, and we asked if they wanted to study in privately or in a group, and they all said group. And so we called around and tried to figure out who could do that group studying. We ended up having it in our home. <laughs> and I will tell you, it's been such a blessing. The problem is, is that our kitchen table is not big enough, and so we actually, I built a new shed, and I, built a, I actually built a spot that's big enough to hold 14 people in a table for Bible studies. And we have Bible studies now at our home every, every Friday night. And it depends on the time of year. It depends on what's going on. But we have anywhere from, uh, from as little as four people to uh, as many as 20, 25 people will show up for Bible study on a Friday night. And, and, and we, we let everybody know what we're going to study. We let it go through. We, we, finished, we studied the Edith's Written Bible Studies, and we just completed the footsteps to Paul. And it's been such a blessing to be able to, to study the Bible, and everyone comes in, and if we miss like this week, we're going to miss uh, because we're at ASI. I mean, we'll have a lot of complaints. I'll get texts tomorrow. Oh, we're going to miss the Bible study tonight. And it's really a time of fellowship and, and, and bringing people together. And we've been able to, to pray together, talk together, and uh, it's been such a blessing. And so that's just a few of the things that we're trying to do to be more active, to be more um, proactive to sharing Christ. And, and it's really a blessing. You know, we've been able to witness to people. There's been some 
interesting stories through 3ABN and 3ABN Radio, and our, our, we've been really blessed. We have that in our, our uh, business, I mean, our local little church. We're in a little church of, uh, our town is 2,000 people, and we have a church, an active church of about 150 members. Amen. And, um, and so we're really blessed, and we have a great church school, a lot of children. My wife's in the children's department, and uh, she teaches the little children. That's her, that's her blessing, and that's her passion. And there's literally, we have, uh, and that's a real ministry, because uh, the parents come in to sit down with the little children. And uh, we have, um, she has 24 little kids in our, in our church. And the parents come together, and I mean, it, a lot of them have never been through a lot of our messages and uh, we, have, we have non-Adventist people that are now starting to come to that Sabbath school. So it's just, there, to me, there's all kinds of ways to witness. You just have to do one or more. Amen. Thank you. It's exciting to hear. And again, you know, you can hear the passion, in, right? And as we're praying, God will open our eyes to see what we can do and, and how we can move on. I want to switch gears and build on both of these things for just a moment. After his baptism in the Jordan, John identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. He went back to Nazareth. You know what Nazareth means? Na- Netzer. Netzer. You know what the Netzer means? It means sprout. Can you see the sprouts there? So if you're a Christian today in Israel and you're an Israeli, you know, you know what you're, you're called? A sprout. So Nazareth means Sprout. You can see the sprouts from the olive trees. That's the way they grow. He goes back and he teaches in the synagogue. How does it go? Not too good. And so they want to throw him off the hill, right? I don't think that's the real hill, but that's what they point to in Nazareth and down and and stone him. And so he leaves Nazareth saying, no prophets uh, without honor except in his own hometown. And he goes down to the Sea of Galilee. And he goes around here to Capernaum. You can see it's actually spelled a little different. Kefir Nahum. Kephir is village of Nahum. He goes to the village of Nahum, and notice it becomes the town of Jesus. So he moves his residence from Nazareth to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is pretty interesting because it's on Interstate 95. You see the Great Trunk Road? It goes right through Capernaum. As a matter of fact, they've got a nice little Roman mile marker they found there for the Via Maris. And so Jesus goes there because he wants people to hear the stories he's doing and take them to the far parts of the world, right? And so he plants himself there, and he attends this synagogue. Well, at least it's uh, built on the foundation, the black stone. Remember who built the foundation? Who, who built the synagogue there in Capernaum? No, a Roman centurion, right? And so they. Uh, but anyway, he has disciples. Now, who are the first four disciples he calls? Does it point to what we're doing? Who were they? They lived here in, in this town. There were two sets of brothers. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And then Jesus calls a fifth disciple. Now, the fifth disciple was very interesting. What was his name? Any idea? How about he's got a name that's called Levi, right? And Levi's not a very, uh, in joiner Levi, mean, uh, in Hebrew, joiner in Hebrew, Levi means joiner. You know, I can, I can look down my nose and say, hey, joiner, right? Come on over here, joiner. You, don't, you know what I mean? You can't look down your nose at somebody and say that. It's amazing what happens. Jesus gives him a new name. And what's his new name? Do you know what Matthew means? Gift of God. I can't look down my nose and say, hey, gift of God, right? It changes the very way that I see you. And so Levi is so excited that the Bible tells us that 
Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth, follow me. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. He's a tax collector. Now just think about this for a moment. A tax collector was not permitted in the Jewish synagogue. He was considered unclean. His testimony would not be permitted in a Jewish court of law as a witness. Okay? Considered unclean like a dog or a pig. And yet Jesus calls him to follow him. Can you imagine how he felt? Wow. And so Jesus calls him to follow him. And the Bible says something very interesting. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Levi asked the question, how can I share Jesus with other people? Now, while he's doing it, you remember the story of the Pharisees, and they come and they, why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors and so on? And it's very interesting when you compare that with Luke chapter 15, the tax collectors and sinners are gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told the parables of the lost sheep and the lost boy and the lost coin. That's the setting, I believe, for those three parables. After meeting Jesus, what did Levi do? He had a desire to introduce his friends to Jesus. And when we come to know Jesus, we have that desire too. Sometimes, maybe it, we get shut down, we get disappointed, different things happen, but we have that desire. And what did he do with that desire? He prayed. And he said, you know what? I'm really good at throwing parties. And he throws the biggest party they'd ever seen in Capernaum probably. And he invites everybody to come, tax collectors, sinners, all kinds of people to come. And he invites some believers to come, Peter, Andrew, James, and John probably. And they're all mingling together because he wants his friends to get acquainted with Jesus. He wants his friends to get acquainted with Jesus. He's passionate. What are you passionate about? How can you use that passion? Just think for a moment. What am I, what am I passionate about? What do I like to do? You know? And then how can you use that passion to reach others for Jesus? Patty's passionate about walking her dog, it sounded like, right? But she's praying and her eyes are open. And after 10 years, was it? Was that the lady with 10 years? 10 years of friendship? So I want to encourage you to pray and ask God to enable you to use your passion for the Lord. I was passionate about history, and that's how this Footsteps of Paul series developed that Denzel was just mentioning that they had used in their home for a Bible study. I used to fly on airplanes working on it. I was working for It Is Written in those days, and I'd fly on an airplane. And one day I was flying from L.A. to Montreal, and I had to fly up to San Francisco, and there was an empty seat. And then from San Francisco, there was an empty seat, and there was a computer programmer who was flying up to the jazz festival in Montreal. Probably not a target for a regular seminar, right? I'm working on my series, and he's just watching it, and, and he gets, so I said, you want to see an episode? He watches two episodes. It becomes fascinating because it was touching back into history and geography, and then it's talking about the life of Paul. Another time I was flying on a plane from L.A. to Boston, and I came in, there was a three seats there in the middle, it was a 777, and I had an empty seat, and uh, there was this bohemian-dressed woman that came on, a young woman, and I thought, she's not a religious lady, I'll get a lot of work done on this plane, on this flight to Boston. And so she asked what I did, and I said, well, I make biblical movies. I was kind of... She said, well, I'm not a religious person. I said, didn't fool me at all. I said, what do you do? She said, I work for, for Cal State uh, 
university and flying back to Harvard to make a presentation tomorrow, but I can't, I don't like the East Coast, so I'll be back in Pasadena tomorrow night. I said, cool. So we start, we take off, and I'm just working on my program, and she keeps looking at the screen. I said, you gonna watch an episode? <laughs> she watches, it's fascinating. She said, I took the Bible from a feminist perspective in college, and, but this is fascinating, how do I get this? Well, we have to make an emergency landing in Las Vegas, and they bring another plane. She says, I'm out of here, and I'm gonna get to Boston at two o'clock in the morning, I'm going back home, I'll do a conference call. And uh, so she's out, this, and so a guy sits down beside me in, in the uh, place, he's got an iPod, we're chatting, he asked what I did, and I told him, he said, I'm not a religious person. And uh, he's looking, and, and I said, you wanna watch an episode? <laughs> and turns out he's the MD, PhD, in charge of the blood supply for New England, had been in San Diego speaking on that. He says, I'd love to get this to share with my wife. Well. When we're passionate about things, we talk about things. I found that airplane evangelism was too expensive to keep doing, but, um, but I really developed that resource for small groups. And uh, I'll never forget, I, I spoke here at the Florida camp meeting a number of years ago, and I had a friend, or made a friend that came, and she bought it and wanted to share it with a church. I won't tell you where the church is, but she got there, and you know what the church told her? A woman can't talk in the church. <laughs> She said, you said you had cards that said, coming to a home in your neighborhood. I hadn't even printed them yet because this is all kind of fresh stuff. And so uh, she said, send me those cards. And she happened to live in a condominium uh, on the top of a 21-foot high building on the uh, ocean. And so she got those cards, and guess what? Distributed them around, and all of a sudden she was doing small groups. Like Patty, she wasn't trained in that. She had never done a small group in her life, never done a Bible study in her life. And then all of a sudden it became her passion. So two or three times a year now she does small groups. And uh, we have another wonderful seminar when, when uh, they asked me to do this seminar. They said, well, talk about some of the materials on small groups. I'm passionate about small groups because I think it's one of the most wonderful ways to reach the people living in our neighborhoods. And, uh, and there's all kind of different small group materials, but we have a wonderful series that uh, coming to a church in your neighborhood, another one says coming to a home in your neighborhood that you can do on the life of Jesus. And I'm very, very passionate about that. And so I'm gonna just tell you about that for just a moment. I just wanna check our time and make sure we're still, we have nine minutes. But small groups is wonderful to do in, in this environment. And uh, here's Patty actually in, in her home on the 21st floor with uh, neighbors and from her condominium building uh, coming and, uh, and doing the small group. You also do public meetings. I love that, that idea. That's a whole different thing. And uh, how, how does it work? Well, this particular program works with a video. Now, this happened to be in Southport, England, and uh, I was asked to come over to Southport, England to do a program to reach the indigenous people of England. Did you catch that? Okay. The indigenous people, so we went far away from any uh, Adventist centers and so on because they, they were put, the, the conference was putting money in to try and reach them. These are the folks who came out. Now we're talking about a, a place where there were two Bible workers and three church members, and uh, we used the footsteps of Jesus that you see here, and so that we'd watch the program, they'd fill in the study guides. And so these are all non-Adventists in England. In England where there are no Seventh-day Adventists, there's like three, and uh, for the next like 40 miles anywhere. So they'd watch the video, then they'd fill in the study guide, and they're beautiful study guides. You can see samples of them here. You can see them in our booth, 909. And uh, it's designed after they watch it that it comes back and they can fill in their blank as this one. And once the little button pops, they can fill in their study guide. And then there's Bible studies that track along. There's 
personal application questions that track along, and then Bible studies that do on their own, and that's a whole wonderful way to apply it to their heart. So this is something that, that people can do that is uh, uh, somewhat painless because you can just invite people to come to your home or you can do it at the church. Patty, by the way, told me she does a lot of her Bible studies at the church. She meets people there at the church. And I believe this is true. When, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to myself. And so I think we need to be lifting Jesus up. Many and varied ways we can do it. We heard a lot of those ways. Key thing is, though, that we need to be praying. Michael Simpson is the most cross-cultural evangelist I've ever met. That's what he did for the North England Conference. We won't take time to hear this lady's testimony, but she says that she came to this meeting and she didn't believe Jesus ever existed. And now she believes Jesus existed. She became part of their group. And so that's what was going on there in Southport. Uh, uh, we had meetings in this place. That's the opening meeting at the town hall. We had afternoon meetings and morning meetings. There's only one church member in that picture. And so very exciting. It's the first time I presented the Jesus series. And, uh, and it was amazing to see people respond and how God changed their heart and uh, how that people's lives were transformed. And I'm going to go past these slides from some of the folks that became part of the church. So the most powerful approaches and the most useful tools for communicating our message our unique message to our friends, coworkers, are the ones that we're passionate about. I want you to pray, God, give me a passion where I can share. Maybe it's through health ministry like Patty was doing, or maybe it's in your business, or maybe it's where you work, or, you know, pray, God, help me to be able to share. Fill your mind also with Jesus. That's what we talk about. Discover what works best with your gifts, talents, and life situation, and to be equipped to, be, to effectively witness with passion and purpose and watch what God will do. I want to encourage you to pray with me. God, help me to discern my gifts, my talents. That's a whole different seminar, isn't it? But help me to discern my gifts and my talents, my life situation, so I can be an effective witness. And I believe God will hear that and answer it. We all are very familiar with the story of the demoniac, aren't we? And how that Jesus met the demoniac and remember what he did? Changed his life. But he, what did he say? Go home. Tell what God's done for you. Didn't take a course. Didn't go to AFCO. Didn't go and get a degree in theology. All those things are great, but he didn't do that. He went home and told the great things that God had done for him. And when Jesus came back over to that region, what happened? A whole group came out to meet him. And so it can be as simple as telling what we know. But if we become passionate, as we fill our minds, that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to share about. And you know what happens? It becomes contagious. Was Patty contagious? It was contagious to me. I see many of you smiling. And it was contagious to me as I heard what she was sharing. And Denzel, how exciting to do that. But we need to be focused on knowing Jesus, don't we? You know? And it's our heart. Remember what we said? The Bible verse? The mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart. As we fill our minds that way, it just kind of overflows. Will you seek to understand Jesus' favorite theme? Make that a focus. Make that a focus. And then we have to look for opportunities. And once we're praying for opportunities, you know what we're going to find? Opportunities, right? As if we're not praying for them, we're going to stumble right over them. We're going to walk right past them. But if we're praying for them, God will open our eyes to see the opportunities. And sometimes, you know what's really helpful? Some of us are a little nervous. I, I had one more ASI person that was going to bring up, Andy, our, our general vice president, because she told me a story that was so wonderful. She talked about wanting to meet her neighbors. 
Now, she and her husband are both physicians at a kind of high-powered place in Boston, and, and they wanted to meet her neighbors, and, and she's kind of outgoing, and her husband's not quite as outgoing, and, and, uh, and, and she's trying to meet the neighbors, and he's saying, can I take the dog? <laughs> no, you can't take the dog. We have to go and meet our neighbors. And how, over a period of time, it led into Bible studies and these heart contacts. And, and I love what we heard from both Denzel and from Patty. Time. You know, we need to invest time with people, don't we? Most of us are not moving around. Most of us are fairly stable. Develop those relationships. Be praying for those and see what God will do. And then I want to just say this. My hobby horse is don't major in minors. Elder Frizee used to teach that when I was at Wildwood. Don't major. There's so many little things we can get off on. So many little hobby horses. But we want to be lifting up Jesus, don't we? We want to be praying for that. And as we pray for that, God will open opportunities. And we have a beautiful, wonderful. There's so many different things from it is written to voice of prophecy. All kinds of different materials that you can use to share Jesus in that context. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this afternoon for this time we've had to pause on a wonderful convention and pause from the busy schedule and think about our life, about our neighborhood, about our world. Lord, I don't know most of these folks very well, but I just pray that you will bless each of us with a special anointing. We're praying that you will open our eyes that we can see the needs, the people who are hungering, who are wanting to know, whether they come and ask us like Nicodemus, Lord, we want to study and we want to be repaired like, Nic- like, like you were when, you, when Nicodemus asked you that direct question, or whether it's like the woman at the well, that we have to, that you use us to ask some kind of a spiritual question to stir an interest in their hearts. But we pray, Lord, we want to give you our talents and our time and our hearts and our lives and just pray that in some way you will multiply that and make it a blessing to reach and touch lost people around us. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.